Hey everyone, my name is Nick Wignall, and you're listening to the Minds and Mics podcast. On this show, I talk with experts in the fields of psychology, behavioral science, and human potential, and try to see the world through their eyes. How do they think differently about topics as diverse as addiction and mindfulness to parenting and motivation? What do they know that most of us don't? And what can we learn from them to improve our own lives in practical, meaningful ways? Fred Dust, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm actually honored to be on it. So as someone who is very clearly deeply interested in conversations um, and talking about conversations on a podcast, which we're we're doing here, maybe we should start off with, what's your take on podcasts as a medium for conversations? Like, what do you see as some of the, I don't know, differences in podcast conversations versus other sort of mediums and places conversations take place? Do you have a, do you have a opinion on that? I mean, yeah, it's like, I, I really, first of all, I, I love the medium. I actually, I tend to only listen to them, um, in cars on long car rides. Um, so as we do it and I'll be honest, Nick, like I, I tend towards like, like my favorite podcast right now is Bridgerton unveiled, um, or undressed with, um, I can't remember who, who the hosts are. It's like the two people from two actors from Buffy. Um, and then it's just like, <laughs> it's like ridiculous and hysterical and like, you know, it's like basically X-rated and it's like, that's, that's, <laughs> but, but my favorite of all, of all my podcasts is, I don't know if you ever listened to switched on pop, um, which is about basically, mm-hmm. it's really good. It's, it's like Charlie, um, these, these two, um, musicians break down pop music and kind of explain kind of where it came from. And, uh, and now they are doing op-eds in the New York time. It's the really, it's good. And it's a great reminder that pop music carries really strong messages into it that actually can really kind of shift the way society thinks about it. So, um, I, I just, I, so I, I just find them to be like remarkably intimate and you find that people kind of like open up in ways that they might not otherwise, it's kind of like a good long phone call sort of thing. So, yeah. And the opportunity as a, as a listener, one of the things I just absolutely love about podcasts is it's like you, you get to be a fly on the wall, listening to listening in on a conversation between two people you find interesting or compelling and like yeah what, yeah. A, what it's an like, awesome time to live in that we can do that you know <laughs> totally it's like it's like being in a um in a in a restaurant and being like okay i can't even focus because i'm so focused on the conversation that's right, behind right me, which is which is always <laughs> like it's 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 which i think is 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 kind of is kind of the joy of, of what it is so yeah I, i'm like i'm a i'm a huge fan of the medium um and uh and and actually frankly really lived it like survived on it when I was working at IDEO. Like it's like when I would have to take my like, like long trips, like it's just like kind of like getting to kind of like learn as I was kind of like doing things in different places. I also, I have to be honest, I also like kind of like, I do like the true crime stuff, although I haven't listened to that for a while and stuff like that. There's so, no shame but, in that. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of shame in all kinds of things, but, but, I, but, but I'm not having it. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's kind of dive into your, um, your take on conversation more generally. So one of the things I want to ask you after reading your book is you, you talk early on in the book about your experiences kind of dropping out of college and you, you joined an HIV advocacy group. And from what I can tell anyway of your career, activism in kind of a broad sense has been a major part of your life. And I don't, I don't want to read too much between the lines necessarily, but it does seem like with your approach to conversation, a lot of it is about using conversation as sort of a vehicle for change. Um, at the same time, it, it also seems like you're the kind of person who just really enjoys conversation for its own sake. So I'm wondering, like, how do you see these two kind of like impulses interacting in, your, in, in conversation and in your approach to facilitating better conversations? 
It's a great question. And actually, I'll just sort of say thank you for even reading the book. So I really appreciate it. Like, I, I can't imagine why you would want to read it. I mean, like, I'm not I'm not a psychologist. Like, I have I have no background in that. Um, yeah, I mean, so to be to be really honest, and I don't think I've actually no one's really quite asked me that question yet. Which, so it's an interesting one. Um, I think that, in fact, having conversations right now, especially is an activist act like um, that, that by, by kind of like, so right now, I, I'll be honest, like my husband grew up in the Palisades in, in Los Angeles and our dog died about six weeks ago, 13 years. And so that was a really hard thing. And I was like, we're going to go on the road and I'm going to take him to the South because he's never been to the South. And I think he was kind of afraid of the South. And I was like, we're going to go down and we're going to have conversations. We're going to have conversations in Georgia. We're going to have conversations in the Panhandle. And we're going to have conversations in, in Louisiana. And, 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 um, and I think what's been really remarkable is that it's actually kind of, so this is not exactly activism, but what, it, but it, what it's doing is it's kind of gradually opening himself up to the fact that actually the South is, is a, doesn't have to be a bad place, that we, we, can, we can actually be judging it in, in the wrong way. And for me, that's a really powerful thing. Um, and I, I think it's really, it's a really remarkable, I mean, what's interesting about being in New Orleans, I don't know when was the last time you were there here, but is, um, if you're on the phone and walking in the street, you feel bad because people are like calling to you from their front porches. Like, it's like, it's like, and it's, it's kind of like, I was just, I was on a podcast this, or I was on a, a, a live chat this morning talking about utopia. And I was like, when you make conversation, you're making community happen. You're making utopia happen. You're making things kind of occur in ways that, that are really remarkable. So, so yeah, there's a secret activist message here, which is, which is like, it's the most important thing we can do. And it's the thing that will save the world, um, in the, in the long run, um, which I know sounds crazy. Then the last thing I'll say is that my goal right now, Nick, is to relentlessly tell stories of how people have gotten through the hardest conversations of their lives using, um, creativity because, that's not what the news wants to tell us, right? So like the, like the news hook isn't excited by that. Like, um, and politicians live off the fact that we're disenfranchised. Um, and so, I mean, that said, I'm doing quite a, work, a lot of work with this administration because I know a lot of the people in the administration, I really love them, but um, which we, we could talk about at some point because I think that'll, it'll reassure you about where we're going as a, I think as a country. But um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think of it as, as significantly, Activists. One of the reasons why I actually, I really, we talked about this a little bit, like I love mediums like podcasts, but I also like mediums like pop music and things like that is just that it's like, it, it allows us to get messages out there in really interesting ways. Like, um, you know, I think Taylor Swift is a really, she's like my spirit animal, just so you know, like I someday I want to, I want to grow up to be Taylor Swift. <laughs> that is a great answer. I love asking people what their spirit animal is. And, and I've never heard anyone say Taylor Swift. I love oh, it. Yeah. I love it. It's like, like 100%. Like I'm, I'm still like, I'm like evermore in folklore. I'm just like, I'm like still like driving through it. Like constantly, I can't get out of my head. So. Well, I, I have, uh, three daughters under six. And so we, we have Taylor Swift dance parties virtually every single evening. Uh, Isn't that great? <laughs> well, you, 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 you might start introducing them to Shawn Mendes. Um, I have to say, I wonder is like when I like that, I wonder is one of the best anthems about what it means to be a boy um, and, and how hard it can be to be a boy that I, that, that I think is really important. You know, I think that I, I worry a lot. I'm wondering, Nick, for you, how you feel about this, about, about what it means to be a white boy, you know, a, a white straight boy especially privileged like at this moment like i think it's a really hard hard time for for boys believe it or not yeah it's uh, you know you can obviously this is sort of in the zeitgeist these days where we're having these well we're, we're having these cultural conversations i think which um 
which yeah. is a good thing. But to kind of back to the, the point of your book in some ways is thinking about how do we do it well? Like conversations right. are happening all the time, right? Um, but there, there do seem to be sort of principles that can help us do conversation in a way that is generative or productive or, or compassionate or however you want to kind of frame that, yeah. like doing them well. I, I do want to kind of pick your brain a little bit more about this idea, though, of like, so, so you talk a lot about, you said there are these three kind of things that will tend to derail conversations. Um, the, the first is an imbalance in power, um, a lack of certainty about purpose, and uh, criticism, like lapsing into critique, right? Yep. So I, I'm really interested in the second one in particular, because it, again, there's this interesting tension where Yes, especially in big conversations, you know, air quotes, big conversations, um, they, they obviously can fall apart if you're just sort of wandering all over the place and people aren't on the same page. And, but at the same time, like I, I also think personally, a lot of the best conversations I'm in, th there's this element of like playfulness to them where they almost like in kind of spontaneity and, and like exploratory kind of attitude toward conversation. And so I don't know, do you think of that as, um, is that, is that intention with the idea of conversation having a, a purpose or, or clarity or like, how do you think about those? No, it's like, I, I don't actually don't think it is intention. I think, well, I mean, first of all, it's just interesting to note that like the book has like seven C's. And so a lot of people believe it's a methodology. It's not, it's an approach. Like really what I'm trying to do is inspire people to think about how they can get through the hard conversations. And one of the things I talk about a lot in, in my life and in the, in the world is like, those are just like open, fun, late night whispering gossip, or like, it's like, the, the, don't, don't overthink those. Those aren't the things that we need to worry about. Like, it's like, it's the ones like I, the conversations I care about most are the ones where, um, you have to get something done. It's really important, you know, that, that, it, that it gets done. And then I think, I think one of the things I talk about a lot is like, I'm most worried about the conversations where people feel fear. Like if they feel like they have like a pit in their stomach about going into it. And I want them to, I want them to spend time carefully thinking about how they can construct that conversation or if they can't, and I'm happy to give you an example of places where I haven't gone into a conversation. If they can't do that, then don't go into them. You know, it's like, it's like, it's okay not to enter something that you actually feel is going to be dangerous to you, um, you know, in a lot of ways. And so, so it's, I'm not telling us to go out and design every conversation. Like I, I you can imagine, I like, I'm out there, like, I, I mean, I, I trust you. I know you, I didn't, I didn't do any planning for this. Like, it's like, I, I mean, I, I don't know you. I've, I've read, I've read your work. So I feel like I know you, but, um, and so, but, but I think for the ones that make you nervous, like I'll give you an example in my own life. I think one of the ones that made me really, really stressed was, um, was I, I got a job at this really amazing organization that I was really happy. I became, the, I was the president of the, of the job, uh, of the, of the, of the company. Um, I flew to the Bay area, um, to actually go for the first time to meet the board in, in entirety and the staff. And I realized that there had been kind of a little bit of mutual misunderstanding um, in, in, and I'd already signed the contract, right? And, and, and I basically, I talked to the head of the board who I really liked um, and, and who'd been most of the person I talked to. And, and I was like, we're gonna go into this really hard conversation because like you guys have some doubts about me, I have some doubts about you and I, I wanna make a plan for that conversation. And he's like, we don't need to make a plan just be charming. And I was like, I was like, charming is not a plan. 
Um, and that's an unsafe, that's an uns or it's, it's an unsafe plan for me, like just to go and be charming. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't want to rely on that. And so, so in that case, I, I wrote a letter saying, unless I can get like the full approval before I go into this, I'm going to resign and they couldn't accept what I was saying. And so I resigned and, wow. and, and, but, and so that's a great example where it's like committed until you can't. And like, and it's like that, that, that put the, the amount of anxiety and stress it puts on you to kind of say, oh, you're going to go into something and rely on just kind of your pure charm um, is, is, is a lot. One other thing I'll say is that I think it's important to, to talk about the fact that one of the big differentiations in my work in, in other people's works, or even like in, in your work, I mean, where, where you're, you're like, you're, you're professional in a conversation in a lot of ways, um, is that I'm, I'm not a psychologist, right? And I'm not a facilitator. I don't think of myself that way. I'm a designer. And so I actually feel like what we're doing is designing the constraints around a conversation so that the conversation can be good. Um, and I, I think that there's something a little bit liberating about that where it's like, it's not reliant on me or it's not reliant on you being charming. It's like, it's not relying on you being deft, you know, and like whatever it's, we, we've set up the rules around it so that it actually can help us kind of navigate it in a different way. I've, this was maybe the my favorite part of your book is that this idea of using constraints to yes. kind of design better conversations. Like I just love it. Um, and in particular, you talk about this idea of verbal constraints and, and it made me think in my work as a, as a therapist, I, whenever someone, so someone comes in and they're, they're talking about their, um, anxiety or depression or whatever it is they're struggling with. Um, and one of the little like constraints I think that I use is I will ask people gently, um, to say, okay, like let's let's pretend anxiety wasn't even a word. You don't even know that. Like it's off limits. You can't use the word anxiety. How would you describe what you're struggling with right now? Like let's get rid of these kind of stereotyped kind of clinical terms, important as they may be. But as an exercise in constraint, how else would you kind of try to describe? And it's often one of the most powerful exercises for people. Um, and so, I I, love is, that. is that how you think of kind of verbal constraints as a? I think that's great, and that that also relates to the the kind of the notion in in the in the piece on clar on clarity, which is basically the idea of kind of giving names to things. So in 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 the book, I write about the wine store that uses like it's basically like you know this wine is um, is sweaty and deep like Sean Mendez. It's like, it's like, I'm sorry. I just, I had to do it, but it's like, like it's like, or, or, or uh, activists at its heart and going to stay with you for a long time, like Taylor Swift, you know? So it's like, but I, I feel like, um, uh, I think, so what you're doing when you're asking people to kind of say like, okay, you're saying you feel anxiety. What you're really saying is like, does it feel like it's like the volumes at 10? Um, you know, like, have, have you turned the volume all the way up? Do you feel like you're hearing static? Do you feel like helicopters are hovering over your, of your, your house? Like, like, I think there's, there's images that actually help kind of convey just exactly what it is. Is it, is it coming from the depths of your soul or is it flying way above, high above you? Um, and I think that can, you could, I don't know. I and mean, I, it's like, it can allow you to kind of see like, oh, this is something that's existential. Oh, this is something that's hidden deep in our childhood. Um, you know, it, it, from, from where you feel it, even in your body, I think sometimes. So what I'm going to kind of throw a curveball at you here um, on this topic of using maybe constraints for difficult conversations. Like let's let's just take a fairly common difficult conversation. Like I'm I'm super stressed and oh, I think I'm overworked in my job, and I I realize you know I need to go talk to my manager or my boss and say you know what this is just not tenable anymore. Um, things need to change. Whatever dot dot dot. But I'm really I've got a lot of anxiety and nervousness about that um, going into that conversation. So. Let's say I come up with some sort of a plan, but how might I use this idea of constraints 
in order to facilitate a better conversation um, yeah, going forward. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of ways that you can, I mean, that, that's a great example. And there's like, and, and that's a very common kind of thing. And by the way, that's the same thing as anxieties that we have when we talk about relationships um, yeah, and other kinds of totally. things, right? It's like, you're going into those kinds of conversations and, you know, one thing I like a great constraint might be go slow. Hmm. Like, you know, like, and we do, we talk, I talk a lot about speed and, 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 and when to go fast and when to go slow, but but it might, one way to go in there is like, it's like, can you present yourself quite slowly and quite thoughtfully and quite deliberately and really, and pause and listen and breathe and all the things that actually allow you to kind of process things. And, and you know, I talk about even, even like the notion that a, a single breath can be enough to kind of stop you from being triggered into something that you don't want to say. Like, because the risk in a situation like that, Nick, is that if it escalates, you could find yourself being like, well, I'm quitting, you know, it's like, or, 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 or which, which maybe you don't want to be doing right now. It's like, all you want to do is just kind of like lighten your workload. Um, I also, I also really would ask when you go into that, like that kind of conversation, I really ask that you like say to your boss, like, can you commit to this conversation? Can you commit to me today? And if you can't, let's do the conversation some other time, you know, in a place, in a place when, when you feel like you can. Um, but, but it's important to remember that, like, I just wrote a piece on this actually, um, that we have a lot of agency. Um, we, 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 don't, we don't have to do the things we, we want. I mean, there's some things we have to do. We have to kind of make a living and, and, and try to stay alive and things like that. But, but there's a moment in your life where it's like you can decide that no, I, this is not right. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to share a very intimate moment with you if you're, if you're open. Sure, to please. This. So, you know, I, I had a um, really strange experience at the last company that I worked for where um, I basically, they had kind of taken me out of all of my, my, my roles. I was no longer managing partner. I was no longer the managing partner of, of the company I worked for. And I got this feedback that it was because I was really bad with women, like that women, women were afraid of me. And it didn't qu quite jive with me considering that most of my teams had been women. And in fact, like the CEO of the company now is what used to work for me. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't think that's true. And, and, and so it's like, and, and so honestly, in the end, just recently, I actually spoke to the CEO and she was like, I've never said that about, about, about you at all. And so, um, I, I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a year off or a, a month off and just go to Australia and wander. And I got back, my CEO, like he, he was like, basically like, okay, when are you going to get back to work? And I said, I was not, I realized in my mind, my mind that I wasn't ready. So I, instead of going to a coach, um, I went to a therapist who I worked with really closely to practice the conversation so that I could actually tell them that I was going to, I was going to leave. And interestingly, cause we talked about this before I got on the call, which is that, um, um, when I quit, um, my CEO was like, well, it's always hard when friends quit friends. And I'm like, we're not friends. We're, you're my CEO, you're my boss. Um, and, and it, that caused quite a bit of a stir at the, at the, at the company, I think, because it's like, you know, it's it, like I, we were talking before, it's like, you have to remind yourself that you're, you've got colleagues and that you, they, they, you can be friends with them once you fired them all, you know, it's like, or, or once, once you moved on. But, um, uh, and so. But it was through the practice of my therapist. She's very much like, you need to do this. You should you need to do it. Like, I was going to not oh, pretty go. directive. Yeah. I, like I was, I was not going to go to see my mom when she, when she died for a lot of reasons that had to do with like a lot of a fear of my father. But, um, she was like, Nope, you're going to go. And, and, and I was like, yep, you're right. I'm going to go. And, and so it, it's, a, um, 
so I, I think that finding ways to practice is actually is can actually make you kind of feel much more comfortable in conversations and 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 with these hard conversations like the example you gave about i'm um, going to talk to your boss practice with somebody else you know it's like um uh, like do, do a little bit of like role play um beforehand and 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 kind of so you can kind of figure out how to do that so yeah way underrated right like rehearsing conversations Right, like and we rehearse everything else. Like, why wouldn't you rehearse a conversation a little bit? Right, or it's like as as I sort of say, like it's like you know you you, you plan a dinner party, like you plan a vacation. Right, <laughs> it's right. like why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you plan a hard conversation? It makes no sense. You know, it's it's as far as I'm concerned, it's like the least lethal tool we have um, <laughs> to, to 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 kind of resolve things. So I'm I'm like a I'm a big 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 fan of practicing and planning when you when you want to. So you've said that at one point for you, self-consciousness was like a really big obstacle to having better conversations. And, and this is something I definitely hear a lot um, in conversations I have with, with people, clients in particular. So it's, it seems to me though, like the, the thing that's tricky about, um, about doing this is that you, you wanna be aware, right? But the more aware of yourself you are in a conversation, the, the less in the conversation you are. Yeah. Um, and it just quickly gets into these real like spirals. So how do you, in your experience, like what has been helpful either for yourself or working with other people in terms of this, I think this really relatable difficulty of feeling too self-conscious in a conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think, so a lot of that actually had to do with, I'll be honest, like I had a, I had at different points, I had bosses who were basically, basically like, oh, you talk too fast um, or you're, you, you jump around too much um, in your ideas and, or, um, you don't breathe or, um, or you sound too gay, um, and th things, things like that. And, and that, that creates a kind of deep kind of like, oh my God, like, you know, should, should I, do, do I even have a right to be on stage? You know, it's like, do I have a right to, and, and so one of the things that I talk about, I've got some, I've got new, uh, I'm doing WhatsApp audio content right now for, that trains you how to do it. But I talk about how I would, when I would be on stage giving talks, I would feel like the context that it was set up, the script that was established for being on stage in front of a huge crowd of people was formal, right? It was like, I'm on stage behind a podium, like whatever. And so I was like, well, how do I diffuse that formality when I, that's not the way I wanted to, to engage. And so what I would do is like, I would like maybe a third of the way through, I would take off my suit coat. And then I never wore a suit. I'd always, I always wear jeans. I've never not, I've never not worn jeans, even though in the white house I wore jeans. Um, and then like, I would roll up my <laughs> sleeves, you know, and then like, Maybe I would take off my shoes at some point, you know, it's like, and sometimes I would like, when someone had a great answer or something, I would go into the audience and, and sit next to them and talk to them. So things that like are kind of like, so that was forcing us to be like, no, this is an informal in engagement. And it's like, you're going to, you're going to engage in a way that like feels natural and comfortable to me. And so that, that really, really helped a lot um, in terms of getting through like that kind of self-consciousness. Um, but, but, but those are real like those are, those are physical prompts that I was giving myself to be like, you don't have to be afraid. You can, you can actually do this. This makes sense. Does that, does that I, help? Yeah. And I love that. Cause it's, it's such a theme that runs through, um, through your work is that even for things that are kind of internal problems, quote unquote, like, like feeling too self-conscious, it's counterintuitive, but often the best way to address them is to architect your environment or behavior to make it so that those, those issues be, become less of issues rather than getting in there and thinking like, oh, I really need to work on my self-consciousness somehow. Yeah. I'm like, what can I do? No, like change the environment or change the context 
such that the conversation is is easier and goes more in alignment with your, your values and what yeah, you want. You know, it's like I thought context would be sort of like worthless in a in a pandemic life, and what I realize is it's actually really matters more than ever. You know, it's like it's like it's like I my husband and I set the table for the conversations we want to have every night together. It's like that's those those, those things really. That's a great metaphor. Make like make that. a difference. You know, it's like yeah, it's like it's like it's like we're we're, we're you know. I, this, I'm sitting at, at the dining room table right now, but I take all, which is, as I say, is like, it is vestigial in so many homes, but I take everything off the, off the table and we reset it so that it actually is set for the conversation we have. You know, the other thing that helps me a lot. So, you know, I was, I was closeted. I was a gay man sleeping with men, but dating women. <laughs> and, um, I, I'll be honest, the way that I finally decided to come out, cause I knew I was gay from a long time, um, is one day I was in San Francisco and I was like, what if I just today talked to everybody like I was an out gay man? So I would just like, I went around and went to a gay bookstore and talked to people and like, and like flirted with people and met people and whatever. And I got home that night and I was like, yep, that felt really good. That was, that's me. And I just need to kind of accept it. And just to be honest, I, I was married <laughs> at the time. And so it was a, it was a hard conversation to have. Hard, um, yeah. In fact, still, I think for her, for her very painful, even though it's been like 25 years. Um, but it, but um but i had to do it um and and but it was but it was that practice and nick sometimes i'll do that even with like friends of mine like i had a friend who was she was definitely being bullied she was a ceo of a company and she was being really her staff was really kind of beating her up and this was actually just pre-pandemic and I, I basically was sitting in a hotel with her and i was like well here's how i came out like why don't you start try tomorrow imagining that you were no longer the ceo of this company um and she did that and she quit and so it's like, you know, it's like, and cause it's like, cause she was like, oh wow, that just feels so good. I feel such a sense of release around that. So it, that, so that, that might sound weird. It sounds more like I'm asking you to pretend to be something that you're not, but it's actually like, don't be afraid to try on different kinds of, of faces and masks and see how they fit. You know, it's really interesting because it, it aligns very much with in, in the therapy world in particular, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a, a kind of therapy that I do. We have this concept of what's called a behavioral experiment which is where you, instead of thinking, well, if I just sit here and think hard enough about this, maybe I'll figure out what the answer is or whether I like, whether I like this new thing or, or not. And the idea is that like, you're, we're far more constrained in our theorizing than we think. We like to think that if I just think hard enough, I'll figure out all the answers to everything. Right. But so often in life, right, you have to get out there in the world to get real information that then can inform how you think. Right. So this idea of kind of starting, starting outside in order to facilitate internal change is like such an important idea. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's really like, that's kind of like an ethnographer's kind of uh, perspective really, you know, in, in many ways. And it's, you know, I think one of my favorite stories, I don't know if it's in the book or not. And a lot, a lot it was, the book was twice as long, um, um, is, a. Uh, um, the story of Paul Farmer. Like, did, did, did you know the story? Like he, uh, in, he, I, I, he, I, I couldn't figure. I couldn't find it because um, it turns out he told us the story over lunch. Um, so Paul Farmer is a, a fairly famous um, a doctor. Has done a lot of work in disease prevention in in, in places like um, uh, Haiti and stuff like that. And they were they were seeing plague happening in Haiti um, in small children. And they were like, well, this is weird. There shouldn't be plague anymore. And they were like. Their, their assumption from afar was it was because the, the, the towns were so filthy that there were actually, um, it was that. So Paul basically journeyed out to the town to see what it was like and found that the towns were spotless, like that the villages were spotless. And 
and every morning like the um the the women of the village would put on porridge for the children and then would take a take a broom and then they would sweep sweep the house so it was actually clean as possible what that was doing is it was putting rat dander into the air oh. falling into the porridge and making the children sick so it was actually the opposite it wasn't that they were filthy it was that they were so clean and they were cleaning at the wrong time that actually made a lot of and so so those are the kinds of things that you only you can theorize all you want about why some like why why it's suddenly plague is arising but it's only by kind of going out into the field can i ask you a question nick um yeah sure. i mean as a therapist you know i i have a fairly strong critique of the idea of active listening um in there like i actually i i, I like the where it comes it's a perfect from. i was just going to ask you about that so <laughs> this is perfect so i was i was kind of curious to know like how, how how you felt about that section i mean it's like i, I really like where it originated i really liked the, the idea of the way carl rogers yeah. thought about like like using it in as a way of saying like we can't solve everything through young we can't solve everything through um through freud um but i'm curious like what was your response when you read that Oh man, I, I love a good hot take and that uh, the hot take on active listening, maybe not being so great for, for conversations is great. I, I think too, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think we've kind of taken that too far. Maybe it was one of those things that needed to be sort of said and established at one point. Um, and I do think there is a, a way in which being, helping people to be a little bit more active, I suppose, can, can help certain people be more engaged in conversations. But but I, I think fundamentally, what it, what it tends to do, though, is it, in my experience, it, it kind of keeps you focused on you. Yeah. Which, it, and again, in, in my experience, a lot of the best, most productive conversations come, and this is something you talk about, um, is when you, when you are able to kind of get in the other person's world and like in their head and like and be. It's not that you're like working on the conversation, but you're you're just being curious. That's about, right. About them, right? Yeah. And that, so yeah. What, and it's and I think that there's like the, the whole point about that that chapter is called creative listening. Is like the whole point is that it's like is that there's so many different ways we can listen. Like we should just imagine that there's like there's like there's like I mean to be honest, the, originally my agent was like the book's just about listening, and I was like no, I think I've got more to say than just that. But um, but I think that the um, but that was actually the that was the proposal that was the chapter that was written for the proposal which is why it's the longest actually <laughs> and i think actually frankly the least well written and uh, like i i think it gets better as it gets, goes along but what i think is interesting is that um uh active listening also lets you escape in a lot of ways because you can you can, you're, you're not really taking accountability for things because you're like basically uh-huh go ahead you know you know so solve it yourself and it's i really don't like it in hr in fact i think two of the things that really had really bad effects in the workplace was the ad adaptation of active listening into HR and the um, the self-empowerment movement in the 70s um, uh, that actually was like really like it's like no you can force your way into into making success happen and I think those two things basically just kind of like made business like really weird um, in in a lot of ways and so I just I, I just caution us that that there are more we have more tools in our in our tool belt than 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 just the, the basic ones um, yeah yeah, I think that's such an important, that's a really important point. The idea that active listening can end up being an escape. So, and maybe that's a way to look at it is that it being active in conversation is not necessarily um, a bad thing or counterproductive, but the, you got to look at the motivation behind it, right? Am I doing this as a way to sort of escape from some other hard work that would actually be more um, help? You know, if I'm really uncomfortable kind of putting a pause on my own brilliant thoughts and actually trying to tune into what someone else's 
saying, is that like a sneaky backdoor into kind of keeping it about me and all these thoughts that I think are really important? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. And, and, and one of the tools that I actually give um, in the book that I think is one of my favorite things in, 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 of all time, like they, when you're writing a book and you're a designer, everybody wants you to write about storytelling. And I was just like, you know, storytelling makes it sound like you can't, like only storytellers can do it. And, and I don't believe that's the case. And so I wrote a very short chapter, I think it was like two pages called Illuminations, which is how to tell the perfect 20 second story about yourself. I don't know, do you, do you remember that section? Did you steal my outline for this conversation? Because that's exactly <laughs> the next question I was gonna ask you about. It. No, I guess I did. Because I, I love this, this, this was very, yeah. So go for it, explain what, what are illuminations? So yeah. an illumination is, um, is a very short story, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, that actually kind of explains, um, gives, gives a little bit about your values and who you are as a person, um, leaves you hanging. So it ends you with a surprise, with a cliffhanger, because we love that, often has a twist. Um, um, and and gives you and, and and has a prevailing emotion. It can be humor. It can be um, it can be something. So I'll, I'll tell you my favorite illumination, which is in the book. But so my great great grand my great grandmother was a um, steel mill worker and a, and a farmer by day. So at night she worked. She she didn't after the war. She was like, I like being a foreman. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna stay in the steel mill. So she did that. And she was she was pretty tired all the time. And she was coming home one night or one morning. I'm walking up her farm, their farm drive, which is where I used to work. And like gradually there would be like this blue figure that kind of floated. By the way, I have a blue bandaid on right now. So, um, but it's like that would float, float in front of her. And she was like, I just, what is this? And it was sexy Jesus. And he gave her a wink and that was enough for her to go on for the day. And that story <laughs> is like, is like, I added the sexy, but it's like, but, but that, that story is like the perfect example, right? Cause it's just like, it's like, it's like short, you're going to, you're going to show up at the swing the next day to hear what happens next. It's like, you know, like you were, you, you were, you were there, you were tuned in. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm curious, do you, would you be willing to share a little 20 second illumination about yourself? Yeah. I mean, my, my first thought interesting is that it makes me think of, um, the power of um, like parables, like if you think about like a lot of the most powerful moments in the Bible, for instance, are parables, right? Yes. They're not like these abstract commandments. They're little stories that illuminate a bigger concept or practice or something like that, right? That's right. And, and the same thing I find in therapy, some of the most powerful um, tools in my tool belt are metaphors, like the right metaphor is just, can just like do one. I mean, you, you could talk about thing, a concept for months in therapy, but, and then all of a sudden you just like pull out this little particular metaphor that resonates with the other person is like, oh, I get it now. Like I see now. Yeah, um, it's, it's so funny, like, yeah, what, go, on, go on, please. Oh, it's just because they like, so one um, that I've, I actually stole from a, a colleague of mine um, that he used helping people to kind of think about emotions because emotions can, you can get kind of abstract about like what are emotions and what are they doing? And, and so my, my colleague has this idea of that emotions are often like, they're like lights on your car's dashboard. Right? Hmm. And so when, when, it, when a light goes off, it, you can, it's, good, it's good to look at it and pay attention, but also it encourages you to think about your emotions as communications. They're not necessarily these like amazing things like, like um, gifts from heaven, like joy, I'm fi finally feeling joy, or, or like anxiety, like it's this like virus that's like infected me and I have to get rid of it. Right, right. No, it's actually more neutral. They're, they're, it's your emotions are like some part of your mind trying to tell you something. And you don't, you don't have to follow along, right? Just like if your low, your low fuel light goes off, you don't have to immediately pull over on the side of the road. And, and, but they're, they're worth paying attention to and asking like, huh, is this a message I need, I need to hear or, or not? 
And yeah. so that, I've, for a lot of people have found that it's like a wonderfully concrete, helpful lens when, when you're stuck in the middle of like a powerful emotion, you can go, oh yeah, wait, this is, this is like a blinking light on my dashboard. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. So we, we sort of started this conversation with you and like, just, just to share this, which is that like, you know, one of, one of my teammates, my colleagues, um, just this morning was like, I'm going on vacation for three days. I, so I'll be, I'll be offline. And like, I cried and I was like, what is with I'm like, I'm feeling great. I'm having a great time. And I'm like, I'm like, why is that? And then I, I think that emotion, what that was, is it was a signal to me to saying that it's like, I'm thinking that these people like as not as colleagues, I'm thinking of them as like as friends and loved ones, you know, it's like, or like I, for this particular person, you know, I, I lost my brother um, about 10 years ago. I had a very bad relationship with my brother um, when, when, when he, when he died. And, um, and, which is actually harder sometimes than if you if you have a good relationship with someone. And I was like, I'm thinking about this guy as like my younger brother that I never had, and he's not my younger brother that I never had, right? It's like he's like he's just a guy. But it's like still, I got like I mean, even now I'm getting a little emotional about it because I was just like, sure. what is up with that? Like it's like it's like, but it's like so. It's really, I mean, but it might be actually also a bit about my brother too. But um, but yeah. So I, I think I think really kind of stopping and saying. Why am I feeling this way? One of the things I just did a little medium piece on, which, which is on, or maybe it was for Thrive, um, was on triggering and when, when, you, when you feel triggered. And, and one of the things I sort of recommend is that you just take a deep breath and reflect on what's triggering you. And like, is it, is it actually the person or is it something else that, that's happening? Um, and, then, and then in that moment, you can find, find, find that you can change things. And sometimes you can even ask for the kinds of conversations you want to have, right? Like, it's like, you can stop and be yeah. like, wait, is this really the conversation we want to be having right now? Like, do we want to be talking, like we just had like a bottle of wine, but do we want to be talking about money? <laughs> like, it's like, is that, is, that, is, that, is that the right thing to do? Um, and and so it's like, those, there's some, some, some really like good things about kind of just being like, take a breath, step back for a moment and be like, what's, what's this about? And then, and then like, and then see if you can kind of go for it. Yeah, which in an interesting way is almost like, like so much of our lives, I think we, even with our own internal lives, we're either taking or giving orders, you know, yeah. like we feel some feeling and we go, okay, I got to do something, right? Um, or stop feeling this way. I can't, I, I can't think this way or feel it. But what, kind of what you're suggesting is almost like open up space for conversation with yourself. And like pause and be like, oh, like what's going on here? Like, let's kind of talk about this and, and look at it from a few different angles. Yeah, you know, so like, like the, the Quakers have this saying, I think that like, it's like that if God has been talking, God has always been talking through you. And if you listen, you'll, you'll hear. And, and um, which is a, a part, something I write about in, my, in this section on creative listening. And I think the notion that it's like, feel like feel feel what your body's saying and it's telling you like kind of like something real about what, what, what you're experiencing in the world right now so yeah well fred this has been awesome so much fun to talk we gotta we gotta talk more there's so much more to talk about obviously <laughs> <laughs> but wh uh where can people go to learn more about you and, and this work that you're doing around conversation in particular well they can um they can go to my website which is makingconversation.com um and they can actually they can they can purchase the book um you can buy it and i i prefer if you do it at an independent bookstore someplace near you so if you can find some someplace near you but it's always available on amazon in some places like if you're in europe and in places like you're, you're probably gonna have to get it through amazon you um, and then in India, hopefully you can pick it up in paperback in a, in a bus station. So, um, so, uh, so start there and then come to the website and, and feel free to reach out like in any way. I'm always happy to kind of answer questions to anybody. So, Hey everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. 
As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.